Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Ryan Black of the Manhattan Mercury up in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. He is set to join us. He is the uh, K-State beat writer and editor for uh, their paper up there, and uh, he is a uh, AP Award finalist for about three or four different categories. Uh, we got a lot to talk about with uh, with Ryan. He's a, a Georgia native. He's covered Georgia and Auburn, and uh, he's a huge NASCAR fan as well, among other things. So a lot to talk about with Ryan. We'll uh, get up to get to that uh, coming up in a, a little bit from right now. So I uh, look forward to that here on a today's edition of the Jones Report. Joining me now is uh, Thomas Bridges, and normally I would say, as always. But he was supposed to join us like two of the last three weeks and does not know how to communicate. And so we now bring him in. Uh, Thomas, uh, welcome back. Hey, it's been a nice little two-week vacation. Uh, you know, kind of getting my life in order. Or, uh, you know, the first week you guys were just partying on down in Daytona while I was sopping up my tears in a bottle of Bud. Uh, so last week, you know, it's, it was, it was a struggle, you know, between working out, trying to DJ girlfriend's birthday, you know, you get lost in the sauce sometimes. This guy was supposed to come to Daytona with us, bails at the very last minute of the credential deadline and, uh, totally missed out on may have been like the best week of my life. Like I, I, I hope that you get a sense of how much you missed out on Tom. Oh, no, no, trust me. I, I, I do have a fear of missing out anyway. Um, but just to miss Valentine's Day and the act, my girlfriend's actual birthday would have been, I would have probably seen the repercussions of that. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, and I've learned this from working in this, this uh, media business for a while now, is that holidays and birthdays are interchangeable. You can celebrate holidays and birthdays any day. It doesn't have to be that specific day. In fact, uh, I highly suggest uh, out there, folks, I know it's kind of too late, but you can look at it next year. Uh, on Valentine's Day, if you've got a good enough relationship with, uh, with your, uh, you know, your partner, uh, you can uh, convince them, tell them, hey, let me buy you chocolate and flowers the day after, and then you can get them half price, save more money, and get more chocolate and more flowers. You know, I didn't actually buy her any chocolate. She's not a very big chocolate fan. And I would never, and this is just a personal rule, I will never buy flowers, like, from a, a flower shop uh, because they, it's like a, they jack them up. I mean, it's like you can get the same flowers at Walmart for, like, 10 bucks. That would cost you, like, almost $100 to, like, have them done at a flower shop and have them delivered. Yeah, uh, and, they, and they die, and they die. That's the thing. So, like, like, I I never would spend a whole lot of money on flowers anyway, because you're right, they do die, um, eventually. And the Walmart idea is a great idea as far as that goes. Uh, but we got another a number of things to uh, hit on today, and uh, this this Big Twelve race with uh, K State still on top after uh, KU won last night, and uh, they split the season series now. K-State alone atop the standings. They're a half game up on Texas Tech. KU is a game back on uh, both of them. Three games to go. Bill Self said that, you know, in this title stretch they've been on, 
uh, this uh, 14 straight. He's never been in a position where this late in the year they do not control their own destiny. Uh, it does. It, it is unfamiliar territory for KU to be in this spot. And we, we've talked all season long. Is this the year the streak is going to end? I straight up said at one point this year, this is the year the streak is going to end. And now coming down to the finish line here, KU still needs some help. And based on the way they played, I know they beat K-State, but it wasn't really a, you know, that great of a performance per se. It was defensively, but their offense wasn't that good. Um, The way they laid an egg, just an awful game against Texas Tech down in Lubbock. Boy, am I glad I didn't make that trip. I almost went to Lubbock, Tom, um, and I decided that there was no way that I should go from Daytona Beach to Lubbock, Texas. And based on the result of that game, I think that was a good call. Yeah, no joke. Not to mention, Daytona's one place, like, even, you know, if the race got canceled and you didn't get to see any of it, like, let's say it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, or, you know, for whatever reason that it didn't get, it didn't happen. Uh, You know, obviously it did, and it turned out to what it looked like to be a really nice day for you all on that Sunday. Oh, that was Uh, a perfect day. Yeah, I bet it was. I was super freaking cold here and miserable. Uh but, yeah, Lubbock, there's just there's nothing really to see there either. So not only would you have seen your team get just absolute mess beat out of them, you would have also been in Lubbock. Right, drive nine hours to Lubbock and nine hours back yeah. for West that. Texas, there's nothing. No. It's terrible. So I'm glad I didn't make that trip. But uh, KU's position in the standing is very unfamiliar territory, to say the least. And there, there hasn't been that point. I thought there was when they beat Tech the first time. But then the way that they laid an egg against K-State after that and then uh, against Texas Tech later on, they never really turned that corner. Usually there's a moment in the year, Tom, uh, for Kansas, at least during this stretch, where you can pinpoint and say that was the time that KU's season turned around and that they were on the right track. Uh, I can remember the, uh, the Elite Eight year when they lost to Villanova and they were the number one overall seed, I can exactly pinpoint to uh, when they upset OU on the road when OU was the number one team in the country, and Devontae Graham went off, and Buddy Hill was held scoreless for the final like 10 minutes of that game. That was a turning point in the season. Uh, you know, The next year, when they beat Kentucky after coming in with a losing streak, winning in overtime, and then they went on to win a lot of games after that, that was a turning point in the season. We never got that turning point with KU. It just never happened, and they're in the position that they are in right now. I, I think that that K State, Texas Tech, and KU all three uh, are capable of winning this Big Twelve at this point. And I think the most likely scenario is probably that there's going to be a shared title of some sorts. Could be a shared title between the three of them, um, but I have still not come around where. Uh, KU is even close to the team that we thought they were going to be heading into this 2018 through 19 season. A lot of it has to do with the unfortunate that, that they faced with uh, losing Yudoka Ezebuki, Silvio De Souza being ruled ineligible by the NCAA. Marcus Garrett was out for a period of time. LeGerald Vick left the team. I mean, just a number of things that added up and put this team behind the eight ball. Um, you know, th- th- that happens. And, you know, in years past, What's happened in KU streak is that these other teams, um, everything 
you know, went right for KU, or they had one thing go wrong, and the biggest threat had you know something go wrong, and that affected their chance. I remember one year in particular. You remember Tom, the year that OU had Blake Griffin, his sophomore year, and OU was the favorites all season long to win the Big Twelve that year. And what do you know? Oklahoma plays Texas. Uh, Blake Griffin takes a total cheap shot and gets a concussion. He misses the rest of the Texas game. They lose that one. And then he misses the Kansas game, and they lose that one. And all of a sudden, they go from being the Big 12 favorites where they looked like they were going to win the the league outright to KU being Big 12 champs. And that was, you know, a long time ago in this streak. So I say all this to say that, um, yes, it does not appear that KU is the favorites to win this league and if you were a betting man, you'd probably say they're not going to, at least not win it outright anyway. But, um, you know, they, it's a product of things just finally catching up to them of all the uh, misfortunes that everyone else has gone through for the last 14 years. Yeah, I mean, they have benefited from other teams, you know, getting injuries. And, and you know, unfortunately for KU this year, uh, happens to be them. But, you know... It kind of speaks to the rest of the team. They, after getting blown out in Lubbock, turn around and, and beat your rival, even though it was in the fog. Uh, you know, a lot of people predicted after that Texas Tech game that KU would drop the K-State game, and KU came out and, and you know, in my opinion, kind of put a whooping on them. Um, so they're still there, you know, and it it might it's going to come down to the bitter end. And, and like you said, if you're a betting man, you're not going to bet on KU to win this. Uh, maybe not, you know, not, obviously not outright, uh, but maybe not even a, a tie. Um, so <clears throat> would I be shocked if it was a three-way tie at this point, what it's looking like? Uh, no, I would not. Um, but to say KU would win it outright, it, it's probably – there would be a lot of things that would need to happen. Yeah, there would need to be a lot of things. They would need some help, not just from K-State, but from Texas Tech as well. And three games to go is not a whole lot of time to do that right now. When you look at the postseason in the Big 12, uh, I've seen this all over the place as far as seeding goes and how many teams are going to get the big dance. Uh, Lenardi right now has the Big 12 getting eight teams in the NCAA tournament. And the seating and the locations are just crazy. And one of the things, one of the common things that I've seen is that, yes, K-State is leading the league. And they've had a very impressive run doing what they've done to be in this position uh, this late here in 2019, um, you know, to win the Big 12. Um, but with that being said, their non-conference was so bad that... You know, if they win the league, at best, they'll be a four seed. At best, because of how bad their non-conference was. And, and a lot of K-State people are, you know, sitting there saying, you know, what's the deal? You know, we win the Big 12, we win it outright, and we're still a lower seed than Kansas or Texas Tech? Well, the reason why is they played such a bad non-conference. And Andy Katz, he put it best on uh, Twitter today. He said, look, 
Um, the seeding in the NCAA tournament is not about what you did in your conference. It's about what you did for the entire season. And KU's non-conference resume was outstanding. One of the weakest teams they faced, Wofford, is now in the top 25. Wofford is, folks. Uh, Texas Tech played uh, not a great non-con, but it was certainly better than K-State's. And so the seeding, Tom, uh, I would not be shocked at all. In fact, I would almost expect it where – when we get to Selection Sunday, of the teams that make the big the NCAA tournament from the Big 12, I would expect that the seeding is not going to reflect what the Big 12 standings are going to end up being when it's all said and done. We've seen this in the past where maybe Duke won the ACC, but North Carolina was a higher seed or vice versa. This happens in other leagues. We just haven't seen it in the Big 12 for quite some time. Yeah, it has. I couldn't even recall when the last time was. I'm sure if I looked into it a little bit harder, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. You know, K-State, like you said, eh, the non-con, you know, in, in the last one you can really look at, obviously, is the Texas A&M game. They had no business to lose. Um, not a knock on A&M, but with the way K-State was playing previously, shouldn't have lost that. And, and even looking at all the other Big 12 games in that SEC little matchup they had there, uh, were they the only team to lose? Uh, the Big Twelve went seven and three, I believe. But it was the okay. it was the biggest game that the Big Twelve should not have lost. It was the biggest upset yeah. as far as that goes. Exactly. So I mean, you look at that. It. I mean, it's a, and they lost to Tulsa. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tulsa, you got to have some pride for the home city. I do, I do, but Frank Haith is about to get fired. I mean, like, that's a bad loss. Of course, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it'll be, for you know, for all the Big 12 fans, and I feel like that's maybe the majority of the people who, act, you know, who listen, um, it'll be one of, those, one of those years to actually sit down and watch uh, the seeding show, you know, to see where everybody's at. It'll actually be interesting to watch, not just – okay, Kansas is a one, uh, you know, and then so on. It'll be one of those years to actually sit down and say, okay, what kind of chaos is about to happen? I have no idea where I'm going at this point, Tom. In, in years past, um, so like, for example, the closest <laughs> sites this year for KU are Des Moines and Tulsa. And if KU was a one seed or even a two seed, priority would be Des Moines because it's slightly closer than Tulsa is, and then Tulsa. And so we thought going into this year, with as good as Kansas was projected to be, you know, a lot of people said they were going to win the national championship, their preseason number one and all that. Okay, yeah, they're going to Des Moines, and if not, okay, they go to Tulsa. At this point, with KU looking like anywhere between a, you know, a three to five seed, that opens up the whole pool of things. I've seen uh, three different sites in the last two days, Tom, from three different bracketologists that had KU going to Tulsa. Jacksonville or Hartford, Connecticut. And I hear that Hartford is very pleasant in uh, the month of March, that it's a you know, must-see uh, place to go, that everybody's got to go up there. So um, who knows where uh, I'll be in a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I would not mind, given the choice, Tom, between Hartford in March and coming home, I know I would prefer not to come home, to be honest. Um, I might actually go ahead and rather stay Close, go back to Tulsa, and then uh, end up in in Hartford in the month of March. I mean, have you ever been to Hartford? 
No, but I mean, like, you know how cold that's going to be? I mean, I was just, you know, in 75-degree weather in Daytona Beach last week. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, you know, I think it would be cool. You already know it's in Tulsa. It would be cool to come back and, and see the old parents and, uh, you know, come back to the old stomping grounds. But you know what? You've been broadening your horizons here lately as far as travel goes. So I would not be surprised if the uh, the basketball gods send you to Hartford, Connecticut. Right. It's not too far from ESPN. Uh, maybe I can tour that. I'm sure that's going to be a popular thing for people to do. So who knows? I could make my way to Hartford. If uh, that is the case, uh, we'll see. But eight teams possibly in the, from the Big 12 going to the NCAA tournament. And, and you mentioned seeding, how much everybody will want to follow seeding. Uh, Tom, at, at this point in the year, uh, I know Texas Tech has started to turn it on. They look really good as of late. They look like a top-10 team. K-State has played uh, really well. Um, if they could just get healthy, that's a team that is very good. KU's been so up and down. I, I think if everything goes perfectly for Tech, K-State, or KU, any of those three could end up in the Final Four if everything worked out right. What I don't see from them and the rest of the Big 12 is a team that can win the national championship right now. No, and, and even last year we didn't necessarily think so, and and KU made it to the Final Four. This year, it's, it's a whole lot different. I, I would be very shocked uh, to see a Big 12 team in the Final Four. Who, uh, if, if you had to pick a team right now, most likely to make the deepest run in the big dance out of the conference, who would you pick? Uh, I mean, I think you got to go with Tech. I, I, they just look like the most complete team uh, out of everyone, um, at least in the Big 12, you know. There's always that team like K-State was last year made a deep run. Um, you know, maybe Iowa State could pull some off some magic. I mean, that's it's one of the teams that like to do things like that. Hint, <laughs> uh, hint, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, however many years ago that was. But uh, they're one of those teams that I wouldn't be shocked to make. You know, I would not be shocked to see Iowa State make the Sweet 16. Uh, and then one of Iowa State, K-State, KU uh, make the Elite Eight. Uh, from then on, though, I don't see I don't see a Big Twelve team making the Final Four. Yeah, I, I K State is such a good shooting team. I could very well see they shoot their way to the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight in that sense. Um, but they're so up and down. At the same time, Tom, I would not be shocked if Iowa State gets upset in the first round either. Uh, they're streaky the way that they play, and you know that you know that wins you some games. Sometimes that burns you at times. And uh, we've seen that already with them uh, losing some of these games. One team I'll say that's played a lot better as of late that that could that I'm not still quite sold yet, but they could sell me if they win some games down the stretch and in the Big 12 tournament is Baylor. I think they're the big wild card as far as all this goes because you know they they dealt with some injuries, they got some guys back. And they've won some big games in the last couple of weeks. If Baylor gets to, let's say, the Big 12 tournament title game, then I think that we have to enter Baylor in the discussion of a team that could make a Sweet 16 or Elite 8 run. I still need to see more, but uh, Baylor looks a lot better lately than they did even just you know three or four weeks ago. You think Baylor is this year's 
K State like they were last year? Do you think that's you think that you could just see that? I think that's a very good comparison, actually, um, because you know what was it? K State was a nine seed last year. Baylor's going to be what... somewhere between like a seven and a nine. Um, yeah. Some folks have them as low as ten. Um, yeah, I think that's a very good comparison. I could see that where they are in K State's position. Uh, the thing that that K-State team had last year, Tom, like the perfect storm really just fell in their laps. They, they dealt with a Creighton team who was not playing their best ball in that first round. The second round, they took on UMBC, you know, the first 16 seed to win, you know, against a one. Um, and then Kentucky just laid an egg in that Sweet 16 game as well. Some of those things, you know, in, in March, this time of the year, it, it – Yes, you would like to win some games and be the better team, but you have to have a little luck go your way as well. And K State had like that goes for just about everybody. I mean, oh sure, sure, but I think especially when we talk about in those circumstances of those lower seeds um, in Baylor's position, I I feel like they're going to have to catch some breaks along the way in that sense if we're going to talk about them going deep as far as where they are right now if they don't get better between now and the NCAA tournament they're going to have to catch some big time breaks to make a run but if they could look uh take a step up and make you know look good in the big 12 tournament then who knows yeah that's that is very true I mean they're uh, you know you know however many games was a few games left and then the big 12 tournament uh there's still a lot to prove uh for a Baylor team or you know for an Iowa State even um, you know, lower on the echelon of, of you know, the tier below uh, Tech, K-State, and KU. Uh, there's still a lot to prove. And, and for teams like KU, you know, the past, the Big 12 tournament hasn't mattered. But for teams like K-State previously and teams like Iowa State and teams like Baylor, the Big 12 tournament, you know, is a chance to get yourself prepared as a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed for that first game or to make late season adjustments where said, Hey, like we don't get the benefit of benefit of playing a you know, a, a higher seed. We don't get that easy first round. We, you know, we have someone that's going to bring the heat to us. And, and so if they can adjust even in the big 12 tournament and start playing some good ball, uh, it's not like they're going to have bad competition in the big 12 tournament. Oh yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's a time for teams like that to refine their game and kind of get ready for that, uh, you know, a, a, a team that they can't just roll over. Oh, Another for sure. that's going to want to want to win just as much as they will. The, the want to. Yeah, exactly, uh, as far as that goes. I'll, I'll add to your point. I like that you brought up about the Big 12 tournament in this sense that once we get there and, you know, we're just, what, two weeks away from the Big 12 tournament, uh, as you mentioned, this has been – in the past for KU, the Big 12 tournaments just meant nothing at all um, other than, you know, possibly try to get some momentum. I've always said with KU about the last two or three years that the best scenario for KU is either to win the Big 12 tournament and go in with momentum or to lose on the first day and have a week off before the NCAA tournament, essentially. And that's not the case at all this year for KU or these any of these other teams. They need as many wins as they can to for the bottom guys to get in the tournament and for the guys like KU, Texas Tech, K-State, Iowa State Baylor to build up their resume um you know attendance was a little bit down last year with uh, because Iowa State was so bad the folks from Ames didn't come up 
quite like they normally do. Um, with K-State as good as they are, with KU you know, needing these Big 12 tournament wins, with Iowa State back playing good basketball again, this is the most important Big 12 tournament in a very long time coming up. And I think that we're going to see uh, – we're going to go back to the numbers we had before last year of sellouts for every single session because this is crucial for that top half, this Big 12 tournament. It's the biggest Big 12 tournament in quite some time. Yeah, and it has been. And it's, I can't even think back to a time where there was a bigger one, especially, you know, we focus a lot on the show about KU, obviously. Uh, but like you mentioned, it, this is the biggest one for KU in a long time. And like you mentioned, years and years, ever since I've known you, it's been this way, that either KU should win the Big 12 tournament or they should just go ahead and lose on the first day to get that week of rest. Um, in, in this case, in this year, it's not that way. Uh, and it's like an anomaly of a year almost for KU. And, you know, it's going to be one of those years in the in the Big 12 basketball. Well, well think about this. If, uh, if the Big 12 tournament started today, KU would be facing Texas in their first day of the Big 12 tournament. Um, if they dropped that to Texas and had another loss to the resume and a loss to a team they've already lost to once before – and they don't grab up any of those wins on neutral sites um, like the opportunity that would present itself, um, you could guarantee they're going to drop at least a seed, maybe two, because the wins they're going to miss out on and another loss added, you can't afford that at this point. I mean, they, they need every win they can. I mean, a loss to Texas, the Big 12 tournament at this point, compared to years past, would be devastating for this team. Oh, of course it would be. And, and you know, as, as biased as maybe we kind of are sometimes, at least myself, you know, you're not probably as biased as my, as me, but um, I don't think KU does that. I, I think Bill Self is too good of a coach. I, I think KU will get those wins. Will they win the Big 12 tournament? Mm, if I'm a betting man, maybe not. That's that's really tough to say in the Big 12. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be a one and done. I don't think we're going to see a surprise on the first day. We're like, okay, oh, my gosh, KU dropped the game. And then the rest Dang of the it, day, oh, we don't care. This is a year you got to care. Right. Uh, and, and I think I think KU will make the adjustments necessary to not go out on the first day, maybe not go out until the championship game. I'll say um, this. One more point, and then we'll move on. As far as the caring aspect, I think that with LeGerald Vick gone, it's a lot easier to care about these games. Uh, if – you know, yes, LeGerald Vick brought a lot to KU uh, as far as the way that he shot the basketball, the way he could drive the lane. You know, he was so athletic. But the attitude was obviously a problem with LeGerald Vick. That's very obvious. No one's doubting that. And I think that one of the things that you saw, in particular when they lost to K-State, you know, last you know, early this month, was that LeGerald Vick simply did not care. He did not, you know, he was running through the motions at times, and I think everyone else fed off that. You got a guy like Ochai Abaji who loves every minute being out there and enjoys the moment as a true freshman like that. That energizes everybody. That takes everybody up another notch. I think that if LeGerald Vick's around, then, Tom, yeah, we're talking about, well, they might just go through the motions and not care about the Big 12 tournament and lose. You get him out of the picture, you get that negativity out of the way, and now I think this Big 12 tournament's a whole different story as far as that mindset and attitude goes. Yes, would you like to have LeGerald Vick on the floor for the way he plays? Absolutely. But the mindset and the attitude, 
that's where they actually might have an advantage compared to some of the uh, the, the situation that they could have put themselves in before as far as that goes. Oh, of course, and, and you, that's something. It's it's so hard to measure, like scientifically, or it's you know hard to measure. You know, you measure like water in a cup. You can't measure the negativity, but you can feel its effects. Uh, it, it's kind of like wind blowing uh, in a certain way. And once that wind is gone, once that breeze of negativity is gone, uh, it's something like I said before. You can't measure up until you can't measure it in inches and yards and liters and you know you can't do that but for what it does to a team to get that negativity out uh it can do wonders yeah no doubt about that no doubt about that we'll continue the big 12 basketball conversation uh with ryan black of the uh, manhattan mercury uh we'll discuss uh, that and also break down k-state and a few other things we'll also talk some nascar with them a few other things with uh, ryan coming up uh on the other side and then uh, when we return we got to dive into this uh, robert Kraft situation uh i got some thoughts as you can imagine uh we'll get to that coming up here in a few moments but first here's my uh, conversation with ryan black well, at this time, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome into the Jones Report from the Mercury in Manhattan. He is their sports editor and a K-State beat writer. I literally just met this guy last night, and uh, we hit it off instantly. It is uh, Ryan Black who joins us on the Jones Report right now. Ryan, what's happening, man? Uh, great to uh, meet you last night, and uh, we uh, saw a uh, not not bad basketball game. I, I've seen better, but seen much worse, too. What's uh, What's going on? Well, first off, Tyler, I appreciate that. I guess, you know, we kind of I made such a good first impression on you and certainly know that it goes both ways. Uh, like you said, it, it was not the worst basketball game I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I've seen some pretty uh, terrible K-State basketball the last two years in terms of, of, of uh, just some really, really bad offensive games. Like either game they played against Tulsa the last two years have just been abysmal offensive basketball. But uh, I'm just one of these people that, that, that above all, you know, Tyler, I, I appreciate the environment. And last night was certainly a fantastic environment for college basketball, you know, even if it wasn't one of those games where it was dramatic and went down to the wire. Right. And, and I know that uh, K-State, you know, has not had a lot of success against KU over the years. But uh, even even recently, with just getting that one win this year, it seems like that we've had some good matchups uh, within the last two or three years between these two teams, and and it certainly helps. Last night, uh, the, you could feel the intensity was in the air of uh, the Big 12 implication, implications that game had, no doubt about that, uh, for sure. We'll dive into that more in uh, just a second. But, Ryan, I want to first get to know you a little bit, man. Uh, tell us about your uh, background. You've, uh, you've been all over the place, and uh, ironic that uh, – that you you kind of came back uh, to Manhattan from uh, from your days at uh, Fort Riley of sorts. Well, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, quote unquote a military brat. Uh, my dad was in the Navy uh, for 26 years. Uh, retired as a captain, uh, and his 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 father uh, and my grandfather uh, was in the Army. And so my father was born here at Fort Riley, uh, but then he moved away when he was like a year old, uh, and so basically knew nothing of Kansas until I got this job. Uh, and then he came and visited last year and absolutely loved the area, loved getting to go into Fort Riley, getting to kind of see. They have not down the original hospital where he was born at. They have a very nice, uh, fairly new one there now. Uh, but I was born in Athens, Georgia. Um, I, I ended up graduating from the University of Georgia, which is there. But in between, uh, in between being born there and graduating, uh, lived in Charleston, South Carolina, 
lived in Pennsylvania, lived two and a half years in, in uh, Yokosuka, Japan, uh, lived in Elberton, Georgia, which is where Mecole Hardman, who starred for the Georgia Bulldogs the last few years on their football team, is from that same high school, same town. Uh, Manassas, Virginia, lived up there uh, for a few years, uh, then went back to Elberton. That's where I graduated high school, as I said. Then it was on to UGA. My first job was covering Auburn for the Columbus, Georgia paper, which is about 40, about 40 minutes away uh, from, from Auburn. Uh, then I covered, then I moved over to the 24-7 site, Auburn Undercover, uh, and was there for a year and a half or so, and, you know, I'm uh, here in, in Manhattan, been at the Mercury for a year and a half, so it's, uh, it's been really fun, uh, you know, and I, I, uh, I'll just tell you, Tyler, I feel very blessed, uh, for everything, uh, that I've been able to do, not just my journalism career, but, you know, uh, through UGA, one semester, uh, over the summer, I was able to study at Oxford, so I studied abroad for a semester, uh, and, and so I, I just never, I never forget to count my, my, my blessings every day Think about how fortunate I've been. That's awesome. Uh, the, uh, you've done a lot of things already and, uh, it's still a very, uh, young age as well. That's uh, fantastic to see how things would go. Uh, I mean, you could tell just before he, uh, he said where he was from that, you know, the two of us were two guys that live in Kansas that aren't from here just, uh, based on the way we talk, uh, let alone on that. Uh, Ryan, uh, you, Coming coming to K State, uh, that that's that's a whole different uh, animal to deal with compared to covering Auburn and uh, Georgia. I mean, you saw some uh, intense football. The culture there, uh, I mean, like K State's got that family culture, and that's great. But uh, down there, I mean, it's it's love and, and hatred. You know, it's 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 all out war with what you see in the SEC and and uh, Georgia and Auburn. Those two teams you saw right there have. Uh, been uh, some of the uh, most fun teams in the SEC besides uh, Alabama uh, the last uh, last several years, and even were a part of that uh, Auburn team that pulled off the uh, one of the greatest plays in college football history too. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, again, I, I was actually yeah that was the first year I was covering Auburn is, is obviously the play you're referring to where Chris Davis uh, returned the field goal, the missed field goal against Alabama to win that Iron Bowl and propel them into the SEC championship where they beat Missouri and then went on to the national title game. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing, you know, about, uh, I guess, Georgia and Auburn specifically, just because that's two places where I have experience, is, you know, there's so many connections between those two schools. If you look at their uh, their coaching staff, because, for instance, uh, Vince Dooley, regarded as possibly Georgia's greatest coach, is an Auburn grad. Pat Dye is a Georgia grad who's one of Auburn's greatest coaches. And for a very long time, Tyler, that was a very respectful rivalry between the two schools. You know, it's got that nickname, the Deep South's oldest rivalry, because it's the longest running, you know, continually played in, in the most meetings of any two schools in the Southeast. But, uh, you know, if you look at this, um, I don't know how often maybe you potentially watch those games. Basically, starting in 2010, that series has gotten increasingly bitter and very just nasty. And it, it really has to do with, you know, 2010 being the year Auburn finally got its national title uh, drought off its back thanks to Cam Newton. And in that game, you know, Georgia's players felt like uh, Auburn and specifically their star defensive lineman Nick Fairley were continually hitting uh, then-quarterback Aaron Murray uh, kind of either dirty shots or after the whistle. And I just know the New York Times did a story about two years ago that they looked at, you know, the biggest rivalry games in college football – and in terms of most personal foul penalties per game, that series led led the nation, if you can believe that. So it's it's 
And I'm saying, unfortunately, that has now bled over to the fan bases because it does not seem to be, at least in my experience, there does not seem to be that mutual respect there that there once was. Uh, and I, I would tell you, on top of the stuff with the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and the on-field stuff, I think it has to do within the fan bases. Auburn has a national title, so they can they can speak to that. Like, hey, we sure. won a national title in 2010. Georgia's still looking to win its first one since 1980. But in their on-field uh, games in the last, you know, 15 years, Georgia has completely dominated that series. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Georgia's won something like 13 of the past, you know, 15 games in, in the two years that, that Auburn won it uh, were the two years they made it the national title game, you know, 2010 and 2013. So it, it's just one of those things where, again, G- Georgia feels like they can, t- can consistently beat Auburn on the field, but Auburn's had better teams in terms of making it to the national title game and winning one of those. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm sorry, I maybe kind of went way down a rabbit hole there, but uh, I, it is fun that I've had a chance to cover both those teams, and, and K-State's been a new fun experience too. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, and you being a Georgia guy in particular, I imagine you got to be pretty happy with what uh, Kirby Smart has done taking over that uh, that program within the last couple years. Uh, I mean, they've gone to a whole new level. I mean, what, what they're able to do, I mean, they're they're uh, right up there among the uh, the college football elites now. You know I mean? I, I, looking back at that uh, that Rose Bowl game, as, as you know, the, the OU fans, I'm around all the time in Oklahoma, they're still bitter looking back at uh, blowing that 18-point lead. I mean, what he's done with that program over there at Georgia is just outstanding. It's a heck of a story that uh, – that, you lose a uh, a great coach like Mark Rick, and they could still find a way to even get better than what they were at. Yeah, and, and I will say this: just you know, I know you probably heard this from a lot of people. I mean, I did graduate from Georgia, but it, certainly covering the teams that I have, you know, I've done. Uh, I, I've tried to divorce myself of any fandom, and I just try to count sure. like I see it. And sure. I'm glad that you pointed this out. Is that I certainly was very. Uh, much questioning, you know, getting rid of Mark Rick just in the way that, as you as you kind of alluded to, you know, when he left Georgia, he was the all-time winningest coach in terms of winning percentage. Now, Vince Dooley had more total victories and the national title, but Rick had the higher overall winning percentage. So, like, then, here, here's what you run into, potentially, Tyler. You get rid of Rick, are you certain you are going to bring in a guy that's going to be better? Because if you don't, you know what you become? You become Tennessee who drop-kicked Philip Fulmer out of the door, and they're still searching through the forest. They're still trying to return to being the Tennessee they want to be. So this, that whole grass is not always greener on, on the other side. It does, as you're kind of mentioning, it does appear Kirby Smart has, has now basically been able to do that. Again, he still has not won the national title, which is what you know every Georgia fan is looking to see. But what he has done that Rick has, did not do in his last five, six, seven, eight years there is he has been able to keep a lot more of that high-end talent in-state. You know, because as you know now, Georgia is right there with California, uh, Texas, and Florida in terms of just number of D1 prospects that come out of there every year. And, and just there, like I said, toward the end of the Rick era, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, whoever you want to say, they were coming in and getting getting the top, top, top guys. And, you know, for the most part, Kirby Smart, his years since he's been there so far, has been able to do a much better job of making sure those guys 
end up, you know, playing playing in Athens. Yeah, it's been incredible to see what he's done to take that program mm-hmm. to oh, a yeah. whole other level uh, just in a short amount of mm-hmm. time, too. Uh, no yeah. doubt about that. Ryan Black of the uh, Manhattan Mercury joining us uh, here on the Jones Report right now. Uh, Ryan, uh, we'll, we'll get to some K-State hoops here in just a second, but uh, you were nominated for uh, some big-time awards uh, through the AP. You broke the uh, Bill Snyder retirement story, and, and that was nominated, among other things. I uh, imagine that's a, that's a huge honor for you, and also to, to bring some attention like that to the Mercury, that's, that, that's huge. Uh, tell us about those, uh, the, those awards and uh, what, what you're going up for uh, with, this, uh, with some of the great reporting you've done there. <laughs> Well, Tyler, thank you so much. I mean, it is a little bit embarrassing, you know. It's kind of weird having to talk about yourself, right? Because you just don't want people to think, "Well, look at that, look at that arrogant guy just wanting to talk about winning awards and stuff like that." Well, I brought but it I up, so I'll take bring... the fall on that. Yeah. Yes, that, and that's what I'm I appreciate you doing that. So, yeah, the I guess I I, I personally was nominated in three categories uh, for the, the classification that we're competing in, which is category D, which is the smallest uh, of the four. Uh, in the APSE. Now, like it may be the smallest in terms of the circulation, but I mean, there are some very good papers in there, including Tuscaloosa News, Oklahoma Auburn News, uh, the Columbia Missourian. I mean, there, and I'm, I'm probably leaving out a couple more, but there are some very, very, very good papers in this category. Uh, Ames Tribune is another one. Uh, Lawrence Journal World. I'm sorry, I don't want to make, I don't want people to think I'm purposely leaving out Lawrence. Uh, they're in it too. And, uh, so, like I said, I was nominated myself in three uh, individual categories, one being, as you said, breaking news, which was the Bill Snyder uh, retirement scoop. Um, secondly was column writing, uh, and in that category, you have to submit four columns. And uh, you, you know what's, what's crazy here, Tyler, I don't know if you knew this, or maybe you do, uh, the K-State beat has two of the ten, the ten finalists for that, for that award, the other one being... Tim Fitzgerald, who I know you know from from Go Power Cat, so we we had a good time joking about that last night. Uh, he and I did, and uh, and then the third one was uh, for explanatory, which is you know kind of a little bit longer and more in depth usually than than just your straight feature writing, and it usually involves some supplementary pieces. And so for the story there uh, that I got nominated for was this kind of deep dive look into Gene Taylor, who is Ken- Kansas State athletics director. And the whole story centered around, you know, he had once been North Dakota State's uh, North Dakota State's athletics director, right? And at the time he was there, Craig Bowl left to take the Wyoming job, off winning three consecutive national titles, and so he basically had to replace a legend in Craig Bowl in much the same way that he's now having to replace a legend in Bill Snyder. And so I kind of looked at what he did there, and he hired Kleiman at North Dakota State, as you probably know. And when this ran, by the way, I want to make sure I mention this, we ran this before Kleiman was hired at K-State. Like, this was me just looking at what might Gene Taylor do. So this was not a look, this was not a in-review story. Like, Chris Kleiman was not the K-State coach when I wrote that story. I actually, uh, it, it, it ran the day after, because uh, I was actually down in Tulsa when, when I got it kind of wrapped up. I was down there covering the K-State men's basketball game against Tulsa. So this would have been at least, um, at least two days or more before Kleiman was hired. I'm just getting my dates in my head a little bit confused here. Uh, but I'm just saying that it, it's kind of ironic that it turned out that just like he did at North Dakota State, Kleiman ended up being the pick for that. So those are the three categories. 
uh, at this point, you know, Tyler, we only know that, you know, we placed. Uh, then, you know, I guess they announced the actual where you rank in that top ten later on in the year. Uh, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm just grateful that we placed, that I was able to place it all. And I want to make sure I mention that we also uh, were, were named one of the top ten uh, sports websites for our category. Um and that one means really almost every bit as much to me as any individual honor, just because that's not just me. You know, when you know, getting our website there, that's that's guys like you know Shane Jackson, who was who was with us before he'd moved over to mm-hmm. Lawrence Journal World, and my current uh, two of my current writers, Greg Woods and Justin Toscano, is that this, and including our photographers, everyone else who kind of looks the our stories and edits and things like that. That is a team award, and, and those are very important and. Uh, like I said, I'm just I'm grateful and 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 uh, just humbled that that we made it. And uh, the last category, I guess, that we're waiting on, uh, Tyler, is they have not released the results yet of the features category. Uh, and I nominated one story of mine. Uh, you know, because you can you can you can, uh, you can enter three in that category, but only one person for each thing. So gotcha. I couldn't, like for instance, I couldn't enter. Yeah, That's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, glad to see that uh, it's all worked out like that is. And congrats yeah. to you and also to uh, Tim Fitzgerald as well, the Go Power Cat. That's, yeah. uh, I'd say yeah. K-State fans are uh, pretty privileged with the uh, coverage that uh, they get from, from you and the Go Power Cat guys and all that uh, on the K-State beat. That's uh, that's incredible stuff. Uh, last night, uh, KU knocks off K-State, and now they're within one and a half games of, uh, of of the Wildcats in the uh, Big 12 standings. Actually, a, a game of K-State, uh, Texas Tech's a half game uh, back from uh, K-State in the uh, Big 12 Three games left down the stretch here, Ryan. Uh, what do you make of this uh, this circumstance? We got three teams going for this uh, Big Twelve title, and uh, K State certainly still in the driver's seat at this point. Yeah, and and you know, at least I mean they they certainly are in the driver's seat just because they're at the top of the standings. Um, you know, I do think just on paper to me, I think that maybe Texas Tech has maybe the most easy remaining schedule just when I kind of look at it, but. It's just one of those things where you know you just really I feel like cannot count out KU until they're just completely eliminated, right? Just because you have to give them benefit of the doubt when you won <laughs> when you won and or shared the conference title uh, fourteen years in a row, you at least have to give them the benefit of the doubt till they are one hundred percent mathematically eliminated. Now again, K State could have gone a long way toward getting a lot closer uh, to clinching had they been able to win. Uh, you know, Monday there in Lawrence, but uh, for the 13th straight time, that didn't happen. Um, you know, I expect K-State certainly, though, uh, to bounce back and play quite well Saturday when they're here and they're hosting Baylor. Uh, then the game at TCU will not be easy uh, because, you know, TCU is kind of one of those teams that, I mean, they could use a, a, a signature win, and I think, if I'm not wrong, uh, Tyler, that's, that's TCU's, like, finale at home. So, I mean, you know, they're going to be you know, pumped to try to, to send their, their senior class off the right way. And then, you know, K-State comes back for their, their final home game uh, against Oklahoma and, you know, former K-State great and K-State coach Lon Kruger. So, you know, you would think at worst probably K-State should finish 2-1 and one with the road game there at TCU really being the the biggest challenge in front of them. But, uh, you know, I, let, me, uh, let, me, let, me, let me backtrack for one second. I will say, too, though, can't count out Baylor because, you know, when when K-State played Baylor the first time, they were missing 
I believe, three starters because of either injuries or sickness. And so K-State kind of took on a hobbled Baylor at that point. And, uh, you know, I expect Baylor to put forth a very good effort too Saturday. So it's, it, I'll tell you what, it's going to be very, very exciting to see how this plays out over the last, you know, couple of weeks of the season here to see who ends up winning the regular season title. Yeah, and we've seen K-State deal with some injuries within the last couple of weeks, one of those being uh, Dean Wade. He's been in and out, and his performances have been up and down. Obviously, he didn't play that good against KU, was held to eight points. Uh, what's it going to take for, for Dean Wade? How important is he to uh, to figuring this out? I mean, they went to the lead eight pretty much without him last year. Uh, wh- how much do they need Dean Wade to uh, to win this Big 12 and make a, uh, a run this year uh, as opposed to what they did last year without him? Well, uh, you know, I think the the thing that's a problem for K State at the moment with with Dean Wade is just the fact that, and you know, even Bruce Weber, you know, in his post game press conference mentioned it again because he mentioned it in our meetings, you know, with the beat writers uh, multiple times since he re aggravated this injury. That the biggest problem for Dean is he just not really going to have enough time to rest and get fully recovered from this from this injury. Uh, you know, so it's basically he just has to try to they. they, they as, as Bruce kind of constantly says, like the hopes and prayers that he's just going to somehow get better while they keep holding him out of practice. But uh, as you saw last night, the, the lack of practice did not help him very much against KU and ended up fouling out and having a very disappointing performance for him. I will tell you that I think he's, he, you know, in terms of beyond, you know, the Big 12, in terms of when they get to the NCAA tournament, I think he, he, he's going to figure far more prominently and be a far more important piece uh, to, to the Wildcats potentially making a run this year as compared to last just because, you know, during that NCAA tournament run, K-State just had so many other players kind of step up at, at the right times uh, to help them, you know, get get to the Elite Eight. You know, one being Mike McGurl coming off the bench having a great game against Creighton. Xavier Sneed played really well against UMBC. Uh, you know, and, and just kind of you go down the line and, you know, other guys were, were stepping up. When you know with Wade out, you know here is where, as you know, uh, Cardi Jada, who 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 was had had a great stretch run of games. You know he broke uh, a finger on his right hand, and so he has not played recently. And he's a guy that had been playing fantastic uh, before he got hurt. And you know they're hoping that maybe he's going to be able to come back at least in time for potentially the conference tournament, maybe the NCAA tournament. But I, I think the thing is. Uh, you know, to, for K-State to get maybe back to the Elite Eight or potentially farther, uh, they're going to have to try to get as close to, to 100% health to, as you can. And, and, you know, Tyler, I know you hear this all the time. Um, I know no one's 100% healthy at this point in the season, right? I mean, there's always going to be these little uh, nicks and bruises and things like that. Right. But really, it's about what team does the best job of, of playing through it. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's what we hear all the time, and and it's mm-hmm. a fact, uh, nonetheless, about that. Uh, Barry Brown has had a fantastic season this year. He's a mm-hmm. candidate for uh, Big 12 Player of the Year at this point. Uh, he struggled against KU. He was guarded very well by Devon Dotson, but mm-hmm. other than that, he has uh, been terrific this season. Uh, do you, what, what do you see uh, Barry Brown's role is with this team? Is he the the leader of this bunch. Uh, what, what's it going to be? Is are, are, is he carrying this team basically on his back? What's uh, what's his role like? Uh, would you? Wh- how would you describe his role with uh, with this bunch? Uh, I mean, he's clearly he clearly looks like the best player in this team. But uh, what's what's his role been like uh, as far as uh, you know with 
uh, this group as a whole with uh, I mean, because it seems like they play together so well, and it usually starts with him. Mm. Well, no, and you're 100 percent right. I mean, even though this K State team is known for having these three seniors, being him and Dean Wade and Cam Stokes, even even you know Stokes and and, and Wade uh, just regularly defer to, to Barry, kind of saying that he is he is the team's unquestioned leader. Uh, I mean, I even remember last week. Uh, there was an answer. I'm trying to remember the exact question that that Wade was asked, but he he basically oh it was basically about how they played so well, uh, you know, just completely demolishing Oklahoma State uh, leading into this game at KU on Monday, and he was just asked, you know, how did you guys you know make sure that you didn't get caught with that dreaded trap game? And he's like, well, you know, I, Wade just said that you know, hey, I give a lot of credit to Barry and the coaches uh, for making sure that we were you know completely focused on Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State alone. And so, you know, he didn't say me and Barry. He didn't say, or, you know, me and Cam, or, or he just said Barry and the coaches. And that's, that's a pretty regular occurrence is that, uh, like I said, while, you know, Dean and, and, and Cam Stokes certainly are leaders by virtue of being upperclassmen, there is zero question that, that Barry Brown is the team's leader. That, that, that's not, you know, no one is going to dispute that. And in terms of what you said about him carrying the team, uh, you know, last night was the first time in 15 games that he didn't score in double figures. So he had a 14-game streak of scoring at least 10 points snap last night. So he's, you know, he, he's kind of as he goes. A lot of times, how well K State goes, especially as you said, with with Wade and Stokes having kind of been on and off, on and off the court at times because of their various foot injuries. Right, right, no, no doubt about that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're joined by Bra- Ryan Black of uh, the Manhattan Mercury right now here on the uh, Jones Report. A couple more things, Ryan. Uh, l- looking at uh, you know, going ahead to the NCAA tournament, we've seen talk about seeding, and it seems like no matter who you talk to, it's got all over the place with K-State. Uh, I did see a good thing from Andy Katz today, uh, an important point that said, you know, hey, K-State may, may win this league outright, but KU could be a higher seed just because K-State's non-conference was not that impressive, that the tournament seeding is more than just the conference itself. It's, yep. uh, you know, it's the all-encompassing season. Uh, K-State, you know, very well, uh, you know, could have a good finish here, win this Big 12, but their, uh, their, their path for the NCAA tournament, the seeding might not reflect what they've done in a Big 12 play, per se. No, and you're exactly right. I mean, because when you go down and you look at their schedule, I mean, you just kind of question, well, who who is the best non-conference win that, that K-State had? Uh, Missouri, maybe. I mean, because it's certainly not Kennesaw State, Denver, Eastern Kentucky, Penn, uh, Lehigh. Uh, they Really, the prime opportunity they had was when they played at Marquette uh, on December 1st. And um, Marcus Howard went off for 45 points, and K-State, <laughs> you know, ended up, Giving up 83 points in that loss up in up in Milwaukee. Uh, the following, they, they didn't play again for the, until a week later, and then that was a loss at Tulsa, which is not that good this season. But it's, at least at least it still would have been a true road win against a team that usually has a pretty pretty decent program. Uh, and then you know heading into this season, I would have told you that the Vanderbilt win at a neutral quote unquote neutral site in KC would be would look good on paper. But as you know, after their top score and a guy who probably was going to be a top, it's certainly a top ten pick, if not a top five pick in the NBA draft. Darius Garland got hurt uh, about a week and a half before they played K State. That win lost a little bit of its luster. So, uh, and then an absolute embarrassing loss to Texas A&M, uh, an SEC bottom feeder 
in the in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Um, like I said, it's just the, in the non-con case, they just uh, the, the the kind of the opportunity they had, they didn't they did not take advantage of it. And and so I know it's it's frustrating for K State fans to say, well, how are we? You know, at least at the moment, still at the top of the Big Twelve, but we're continually seeing our team seated lower in these turn any NCAA tournament projections than K, KU or Texas Tech or Iowa State. But like you said, I mean, Kat brought up a good point. It, it, it's not just what you do in conference play. It's you need some signature non-con wins, and certainly KU has that. You know, when they beat Tennessee and uh, you know Texas Tech played Duke very, very, very well. And so there's it's just. It's a lot of times about like who you play in the non-con. That's part of the reason why K State was a nine seed last year. Was their their non-conference schedule last season was was just very 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 poor, and you know they're trying to do what they can in the future to upgrade that. Right, right, and and I'm sure they will. And you know if they do win the Big Twelve, especially if they win it outright, I'll be shocked if they're not a top four seed. If they win the mm-hmm. Big 12, that would go a long ways, but I don't know if they can go beyond that per se. Uh, Ryan, uh, we'll uh, wrap up with this. Uh, one of the things that, that you and I are, are both huge fans of is, is NASCAR. Mm-hmm. I just got back from the 500. What an incredible experience that was. Uh, I mean, you you grew up with the sport. Your, your first race was uh, that you ever went to was was probably a race that not a whole lot of people can say that they went to. One of the most unique experiences in the sports history when uh, they made that trip out to Japan. Well, actually, okay, I want to say this was the second race that I went to. Oh, second the second race. race I ever went to was the 1996 UAW GM Quality 500 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And te- Texas Terry Labonte, who ended up winning the title that year, won the race. Uh, so this was the race that you're referring to, though, was the second one that I went to. And so this was uh, the final year of NASCAR going and doing exhibition races in Japan because they went three years in a row, uh, 1996, 97, and 98. Uh, the first two years they ran at the, at the Suzuka Road Course. Um, the first year, Rusty Wallace won. Uh, the second year, Mike Skinner won. And then so the third year they went to the Twin Ring Motegai where they've held some of the uh, – IRL races, and as you maybe know, that's uh, that was Annika Patrick's only win in right. IRL was at the Twin Twin Ring Motega race, and so in '98, uh, as you said, you know, I was living there in Japan uh, while again my dad was in the Navy, and uh, we were able to get tickets to it, and that was the first race that uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Dale Earnhardt Jr. ever raced against each other in the same uh, sanctioned race, and Dale. Junior actually finished, I think, two spots off the top of my head. I think it's two spots ahead of his father. Um, the cars they ran in that race are still pretty well known. They both ran Coke, like uh, Coke themed paint schemes. Uh, Dale Senior was like a red number three with like a Coke bottle design on the front, and Dale Junior had a black number one car with like the polar bears uh, that are the d- distinctive kind of Coca Cola uh, advertising. So it was a heck of an experience. I will tell you this though, Tyler. Uh, it was November in Japan, and it was extremely, extremely, extremely cold because that's a mountainous area of Japan where that racetrack is. That's awesome. That's cool. Uh, cool experience, yeah. no doubt. And and uh, to see the Earnhardt family like that too. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, who who did you grow up rooting for? Did you have a favorite driver uh, growing up uh, as as a NASCAR fan like you were, Ryan? Oh, I, I was certainly a diehard Dale Senior fan. Uh, just I guess because so many of my family members on my mother's side, they were all senior fans, and and I guess you know my thing about him was that, and I think it's what drew obviously so many people to him 
was he was just re- willing to do whatever it took to win. I mean, if he had to move you out of the way, he would do it. And you know, some people don't like that because you know they think you should race someone clean. And and I don't I don't say there's not something respectable about that. But think about how many of the guys who race you clean are guys like Mark Martin who never ended up winning a title. So my thing is like I would rather. You know, move somebody out of the way and win races and win championships and to say, well, I gave it a good shot, but I finished second because I, I refused to use the bumper to, to get a guy out of the way. So like I said, I was just a diehard, diehard Earnhardt fan. And here's another kind of ironic, crazy thing. His final win, you know, that iconic uh, win at Talladega in October uh, uh, 2000, you know, where he came from 17th to 1st in the final five laps of the race. Right. That was my birthday. Whoa, yeah. that's cool. That yeah, is awesome. October fifteenth, uh, two thousand. I turned eleven. <laughs> that, that is un- unreal. That is that is a neat thing uh, to say the least. Uh, uh, how that could be. Uh, I, I grew up the on the opposite end. I, I was a Jeff Gordon fan uh, growing up all those years. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And that uh, I, I recently saw that FS1 documentary they did on the two of them, the uh, the unrivaled uh, about uh, about Dale and Jeff and just outstanding. And just the rivalry between mm-hmm. those two fan bases was. One of the uh, greatest rivalries I think we've seen in sports over the years, and too bad we didn't see more of it. Uh, with it, that didn't last longer than it did, of course. Uh, what, what what tracks you been out to, uh, Ryan? You mentioned uh, you've been out to Charlotte and Tokyo. Uh, or you've been out to Japan, saw that that race out there. What were some of the others uh, you've been to over the years, man? Well, I've been I've been to Charlotte twice. Uh, I've been to Atlanta. I, I want to say three times. Uh, been to Talladega once. Uh, and I've been to Texas once. Like I said, I've driven by Bristol. Uh, and, oh, and I covered both the Kansas races uh, here last year. Uh, so, I mean, obviously I covered both. Those were the only two races that I've covered as a journalist. All the other ones, you know, I was sitting in the stands. But, uh, you know, I do want to make sure I backtrack. One second, what you said about Gordon. It, it certainly, I was one of those people, man, when Gordon came in, uh, especially – you know, if you remember, man, like the 95 to like 98 seasons, he was just so unbelievably good. It was almost a joke. It just seemed how far ahead of the field he was. And so it really bothered me because like, well, he was he was knocking off a lot of the shine from Earnhardt. But certainly as time went on and, you know, and Earnhardt already passed, uh, I just really grew to respect Gordon and what he, he's done so much more. And in a way, it, it was going to be fascinating now because, as you know, I mean, Richard Petty's record of 200 wins at, at the top level is uh, is untouchable. And I don't think anyone's going to get to 100 either, so I'd say David Pearson's pretty safe. Is, is anybody going to get to Gordon at 93? Because uh, Johnson's, uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, his his uh, teammate, and I guess Gordon is still his co-car owner, so he's at 83, 10 wins behind him. And I want to say Kyle Busch has 51 so do you think uh, – I'm just asking you a question now. I guess I'm flipping it on. Do you think anyone uh, is going to be able to match Gordon at 93, or do you think that's going to kind of remain the quote-unquote modern era kind of record? I, I think that uh, – I think Jimmy will get there. Uh, I, I still think that Jimmy's okay. got a couple more years left. He, he's indicated he's not ready uh-huh. for retirement yet, and Kyle Busch keeps on winning races. Uh, I, I would not doubt uh, what Kyle Busch is capable of doing, uh, but – uh, it, it's going to be fun. I think that the, the talent level is good in the sports, not quite what it was, you know, even five years ago. Uh, but uh, we're, we are seeing some good racing, and Daytona was a heck of a time. I'm looking forward to 
getting back out to Kansas Speedway here uh, pretty soon and, and seeing those races once again. That's an op- That's one of my favorite things to cover all year long is get the chance to get out there, and, and uh, we'll see you then. Ryan, uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. We, we could have just talked NASCAR for uh, this time, but we had so much stuff to cover. Appreciate you joining us. Where can people connect with you, man? Hey, yeah, wait, that people can follow me at, at Ryan A. Black on Twitter, and like I said, they certainly can head to the, the Mercury's website to read the content produced by myself and the rest of the staff. And, and certainly, uh, Tyler, I would love to get on with you again, especially if we can get on and start previewing the Kansas races, maybe the, the on the eve of those races uh, the upcoming year. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll figure something out for sure, About no doubt about that, and uh, looking forward to that. Ryan Black uh, joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, check him out on Twitter and uh, all his great work with the uh, the Mercury up there in Manhattan, and uh, we appreciate him joining us. Ryan, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll talk again down the line. Okay, thanks so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Ryan Black for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. By now, if you do not know the Robert Kraft story, you have been living under a rock of some sorts. And there's a couple of elements that I find fascinating. The first of those being, Tom, that uh, one of the times that he was at the parlor, and at least once anyway, was the day of the AFC championship game that he arrived at the massage parlor at 11.15 and then he made it to Kansas City in time for kickoff of the AFC championship at 5.40. That is incredible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is. Just to even think that he was probably getting – should I say – I'm saying it. Just think he's probably getting a blowjob and then want to go see his team win. I mean, dude's living his best life, even though he had to pay for it. <laughs> I mean, he probably could have just paid for a hotel in Kansas City, but that's not Jupiter, Florida, either. No, yeah, no. In Jupiter, you might get some good-looking women. In Kansas City, you would get meth mouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> now, can, l- let me say something as far as this Robert Kraft case goes. <laughs> Uh, I, as you can imagine, I'm very opinionated when it comes to this, uh, among other things, but this thing in particular. With, with Robert Kraft, let, let me be very clear first and foremost. If somehow, in some way, Robert Kraft actually was connected with human trafficking, if he knew what was going on, if he knew that and was involved in that, then yes, he should be prosecuted. That's bad. That's not good. However you slice it. But here's the other side of that. I really, really doubt Robert Kraft had anything to do with the human trafficking that was going on there or or had any idea whatsoever. I really, I highly doubt that Robert Kraft knew that was going on. So with that being said. Oh, and a, a lot of people don't know. When people go and do that stuff, I don't feel like your average person knows that these people are being trafficked or these people are being forced into it. Right. Otherwise your average person who has like the morals to actually go to one of those places aren't as bad morally. If they were to actually know, Hey, this girl got brought from another country and is literally being enslaved in sex trafficking. Right. That, you know, to go to one of the, and I've obviously, let me just put that out there. Obviously I've never been, but to, if I was going to go, if I was going to make the decision to go and pay for that service, 
it would drastically change my decision if I knew they were being sex trafficked. If it was a girl not against her will and I was 100% knowingly going and knew that these people were against the will, it would change it 100 million times. Now, it's, with, it with all that bad? being said, let me, let me add something real is quick. It's still bad. Um, I'll, I'll say this. If... If Robert Kraft, if he knowingly knew what was going on, then yes, he should be prosecuted. That's bad. That's that's awful. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that his wife died a couple of years ago. It, it appears to be that it was consensual. It was sex between two people that wanted, uh, you know, that, that agreed to it. Uh, the, the only difference between that and pornography is that there wasn't a camera, you know, involved directly. Now, obviously, there was a security camera. We'll get to that here in just a second. But, you know, that, that's the only difference here. If if porn and, and that stuff is, is legal, then why is prostitution, you know, why is, in this circumstance, why can't people that, you know, are giving consent to each other can't, you know, have sex with each other in this circumstance? I mean, to me, this is much to do about nothing if Robert Kraft is not involved in the human trafficking side, which I highly doubt he is. Okay, so let me offer a devil's advocate perspective on why or why he should be charged. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, at the same time, Billy would agree with me here. Uh, I saw his tweet. I think prostitution or sex work should be regulated in the same way necessarily that other things have been legal and then legalized, such as marijuana, that thing we're going through now, it would make sex work, sex work for the actual workers a whole hell of a lot safer. It would take pimps out of it. It would take some of it, maybe some of the sex trafficking out. I'm not sure. You just have to look morally. What are your morals? Should these people that are going to do it anyway... Right, you'd have to have a license to, to practice it. I mean, they're going to still do it. It would just make it safer for the sex workers if it was regulated. Some people say no. Some people say yes. I say let people do whatever the hell they want to do. But at the same time, view it this way. Robert Kraft, view it the same exact way as how I'm about to lay it out. Robert Kraft goes to Florida where prostitution is illegal, has sex with wh whoever, uh, God knows, you know, whoever he banged or whoever he got a blowjob from, whatever he did, um, goes and does that in Florida where it is illegal would be the same as if he went, bought a joint off of a dealer and smoked it and got caught smoking pot. That is the exact same thing. Just because it's legal somewhere doesn't make it legal or just because it's legal somewhere doesn't make it illegal anywhere else. If he went to say the bunny ranch in Nevada or prostitution and sex work is legal in a certain county in Nevada and did it, that's fine. If I go and smoke weed in Colorado and get high. If I'm in Colorado, that's fine. I get that. It's a win in Rome thing. If I come here and take the weed that I brought back from Colorado and smoked it here and get caught, I have to face the I have to face the penalty. I knowingly knew going in that this could happen because not not because it's totally bad, not because it's totally bad. But because of a state law, I understand I'm taking that risk smoking weed in Oklahoma or having sex with a prostitute in Oklahoma or smoking a joint in Florida or getting a blowjob in Florida and paying for it is the exact same thing. Should it be charged? 
Yes, in that sense. Is it right in my moral opinion? No. Okay. But he will face charges. I agree with you, actually, on all that, but I'll say this. As far as the stance of everybody ripping Robert Kraft and going after him for this and making him out to be this evil and bad guy, that, to me, is where I have a problem in all this is let him live his life. If he chooses to do that, that's a mistake he made. Uh, let him be. I mean, the guy, his wife died a couple years ago. It was consensual. I mean, his girlfriend is right now. His girlfriend's not a bad looker. Oh, she's I not either. That. But, I mean, I, my, my I point agree being. I with you at that point, but it is a price to pay for being rich and being famous and being the owner of the team that just won the Super Bowl and owner of the team that everybody but Patriots fans hates. That is the price you pay. I think it's fair to call him an idiot for this. That is absolutely fair because, you know, he doesn't not need to go down to Jupiter, Florida to get this, you know, done, this type of thing. What I don't think is fair uh, is for people to stand and be a moral authority over this and try to say that he should be, you know, suspended or fined or they should take the team away from him. All of that is ridiculous. I mean, leave the guy alone. I mean, you have to have – uh, to attack this guy as he's been ruthlessly by the media, making him out to be this evil guy simply for getting a blowjob. I mean, my my goodness. Like, <laughs> leave the old man alone. Good gravy. Like, do you not have anything better to do with your lives than, you know, mess with this old guy? Yeah, you know, I get that. I still think it's, it becomes – I think it is the price of, of, of being famous. I think if you went down to All Stars and Lawrence and got hit and got found out, I don't think there would be a storm in Lawrence. I mean, it'd be just a, you know, just be another guy getting some dome in, in, in a strip club. Uh, but with Robert Kraft, it's like, okay, dude, your buddy, buddy, uh, you know, with Tom Brady and, and all these other big wealthy people. And then you have to go down to Jupiter, Florida. And it wasn't a nice place. This is a place in a strip club or not a strip. This is a place in a strip mall. Um, that you're Slight going difference. to. in in, in the the best thing about this, and I think why half of the storm about this is happening, and we're going to find out here really soon, and I'm, like, rubbing my hands because I'm feeding into it. It's the same way the, the Chloe and, and the Tristan and the whatever the girl's name was just happened. That whole ordeal blew up. This is what people want to see. They want to see the downfall of, of major people, and it sucks that it's like that, and it sucks that it sounds like that. But we want to see the downfall of this. Especially so we people we do. can't stand, like, you know, all the people that hate the Patriots. I think you're absolutely right on that. Now, here's the question. I mean, question. we want to see that. Right. Here, here's here's a question for you, Tom. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. This is uh, – here's a question for you. So, there was – the way that they found out this was Robert Kraft is that there is a security tape that caught this entire act on tape, allegedly, and they say that it's – pretty obvious that it's Robert Kraft in this tape. If this tape gets leaked to the public and is made available out there, Tom, will you watch the Robert Kraft blowjob tape? Uh, I'll watch a little bit of it, yeah. I, I sure will. I, I, mean, I don't think you cannot watch it. Here's another thing, Jones. Adam Schefter reported that Robert Kraft wasn't even the biggest name. And I think I'm rubbing my hands maybe a little 
a little too fast. It's been five Thank days you. since that report, and that still hasn't come out. I think Schefter may have not yet, hit and missed not on yet. that one. It's yet. because, you know why it probably hasn't come out? Because it's probably a bigger name than we know. And it's a 28-minute drive from that strip mall to Mar-a-Lago. Eh, I mean, it was still... I mean, I, I think we would have found out by now. Schefter has Trump already. Job there. Schefter, we would spend the whole show. If Donald Trump was down there getting a blow ski, this whole country would erupt. Oh, it would. It would. Um, if Schefter, uh, I think, was right about this, it would have come out by now that there was a bigger I, name involved. I, I think by this point in time. Tiger Woods? I wouldn't. Right? I mean, Tiger's from Jupiter. Who knows? That's a there's a lot of golfers there. Not only that, the MLB does spring training there. And how many, how many baseball players right now are in Jupiter? Right. Yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, who who possibly could be that if that is the case? Um, but I'm not sold that Schefter quite had that right yet because it's still been a few days, and Schefter has gone radio silent about that report since asked about it. Uh, they've kind of downplayed Trump's it since. People killed him. Maybe Donald Trump's people kill him. Maybe so. Maybe so. I'll say this as far as that tape goes. Um, I would watch the tape once. Um, not out of pleasure by any means, but I would need to see it. Like, that type of thing you just can't ignore. Like, you need to be able, you know, because if you're talking about it among your buddies, whatever, like, you know, Thomas and I are right now, we would need to be able to describe what we saw and react to it. I would feel like it would only be within, you know, me doing my job, me serving the public <laughs> properly for me to see this if it come if it comes out. I only want if it comes out, I only watch it once. I'm not going to enjoy it by any means, but as a service to my listening audience, I will watch it, Tom. I think it would be hilarious, especially if there was sound. Because, I mean, what would Robert Kraft say? I mean, what would he be saying? Oh, Tom Brady. Oh, you know, like, oh, Bill Belichick. I mean, I I guarantee there would be some funny comments in there, and it would be it would be timeless. There would be, there's going to be memes made about this if this is available. And, and I think it, it, it will. It will happen. Um, it will be a glorious day, and I guarantee you that, he will never live this down for the next 10 years that that man actually lives. Um, Secrets are just truth down. untold, and this is going to find its way out there. Oh, I mean, you know it. TMZ probably already has the damn tape. Right. They're just waiting uh, to not get sued of some sorts. Maybe WikiLeaks will find a way of some sorts. Like, this is going to find its way out there and uh, be the case. I'll, I'll say this. If it does make its way out there, you know, with Robert Kraft being charged and everything, does he still sue whoever releases this, though? Uh, I mean, if they upload it to a porn site or something and he gets royalties off of it, probably not. Because hmm. you know, you know, it goes by the views. You know how many views that would think that would if that got uploaded to like a popular porn site. You know how many views that thing would get they would make a hell of a lot of money off that oh absolutely of course they would I, if i was robert Kraft, i'd just go ahead and upload it and i would just say here's all my royalties and i'd tell porn up and say you can write a check out to here <laughs> right what, what if <laughs> right i mean what come if on. He, uh, he said write a check that's of a situation what about writing a check to the uh all the the money goes to the robert Kraft foundation yeah, they'll probably take all the money and be like, okay, this has to go to, like, 
helping sex traffickers, which right. I'm down for. If that was the case, that would be badass. Right? Oh, I my gosh. That. Oh, the they, best. they said all the money from the views goes to, you know, helping out women that go through sex trafficking or even men that go through sex, sex trafficking. That, that shit happens. Uh, that was went to that cause like that, 100% down. I'd watch it a couple more times just to get more views. <laughs> That's not bad. I mean, I would. I mean, that would be that, I think, for Robert Kraft to turn this damn thing around, he'll upload it himself uh, and donate. He'll match however much money it makes and donate it to uh, a charity or, or a cause that, that focuses on that. I, I well, think then, that might be we talk about image. We talk about teams all the time trying to control the message. This would be uh, a total alpha move for him to totally do this, and all of a sudden he looks he, he goes from looking like this old perv that's about to be criminally charged to all of a sudden he can have a good laugh and he's helping out a good cause too. I mean, he would totally reverse course on this if, if he did that. I mean, what if you watched it and the dude just was like, you know, just uh, massively blessed? What if he just showed up all America and just straight dong whomped the whole country? I mean, you know, we, we don't, I doubt that he's on camera putting in the Viagra pills anyway. I mean, you know, he's probably got a prescription. Oh, of course. I mean, if Hugh Hefner did it, I mean, is it the same? I believe is so. He the, is it the same as Hugh Hefner? Is it the same? I mean, because you know Hugh Hefner did the same thing. It might not have been like an exchange of here's some cash, but to his wife at the current time, uh, before he died, Hugh Hefner, you know she was in the will worth, you know, however much money. I mean, it was probably ridiculous. Uh, I mean, is it the same thing? I mean, who knows? I, I want to know, I think, the most that how much did he pay for the services he's received right i, think I want it, to know how much was it 50 bucks was it a was it a hundred did they like oh, charge him because um, they knew he was they charge him 1500 it's when come out in the video in the video allegedly that that was leaked uh the inf from people that have seen the video have said that he uh he hands her a hundred dollar bill and then more money afterwards as a tip more money than a hundred? Yes, uh, he pays one hundred for it, and then a tip afterwards. So, is he a generous tipper? You know, if he came into a, a bar you were serving drinks at, does it? Does he? Did he do the tip challenge? That I shouldn't say that. That's probably insensitive of me. You know, like the tip one hundred percent challenge or the tip, whatever it be challenge. Right. Yeah, it's a great question. That sounds terrible. Or the round. I think what I think they call it the roundup challenge. Okay. Well, uh, on, that, on that note, let's go ahead and uh, move on. Before we get out of here today, uh, before we uh, say too much. That could have been Tom Fullery. Yeah. Before we say too much and get ourselves in trouble, um, let's uh, go ahead and get to our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And uh, this one involves another old man. Um, this one finding a uh, place to live. He's not going to a massage parlor. Instead, he's uh, going to a hotel. How's this work out, Tom? Yeah, you know, I'm sure he could probably call one of those Jupiter girls maybe or get something to his hotel. And, and it's funny because he's on holiday, hashtag holiday in. Um, 
but instead of Florida man, we're going to Texas man. Uh, forget the nursing home. Texas man outlines plan to retire at Holiday Inn. Um, this comes out of New Orleans at first, but it says a man in Texas says he's looking forward to a retirement free of worry and on the cheap by spending the last part of it not in a retirement home but in a Holiday Inn. Jones Terry Robertson, Robinson published his plan in a Facebook post that has been shared almost 95,000 times. And I'm sure it's more than that by now because this was posted yesterday. Uh, he said he's done the research and the math, and his plan will not only keep him comfortable, it will save him money. But the average cost for a nursing home care costing $188 per day. There's a better way when we get old and too feeble, Robinson wrote. I've already checked on reservations at the Holiday Inn for, com for a combined long-term stay discount and a senior discount. It is $59.23 per night. Breakfast is included and some have happy hours in the afternoon. That leaves $128.77 a day for lunch and dinner in any restaurant we want or room service, laundry, gratuities, and special TV movies. Uh, he said hotel chain living will also let him move from place to place if he wants. He can move from end to end or even from city to city, Robinson said. Want to see Hawaii? They have holiday in there too. There's a downside. Robinson doesn't mention it. Uh, Jones, that's a hell of a plan. Uh, I'm sure people have thought of it before. I haven't, but I mean, when we get that age, we might not have Social Security. So He's uh, saving a case, lot of money, too. I can't believe how much uh, yeah, money he's saving. I mean, could you imagine, like, I mean, I don't even spend, I don't even spend 120 some dollars a day he would save. So, you know, you save that for a week, you could, I mean, you're living nice. That, you know, have the maids come in, change the sheets, change the beds. You, you know, you don't have to worry. You can run the AC as hot or as cold as you want. Free TV, free cable, uh, balcony, you know. Family can free, visit free. any time. Free breakfast, yeah. The I, mean, uh, I heard the the family in this case uh, actually is visiting him more so they can use the pool. Well, that and I mean I don't know much about nursing homes just because my parents aren't that age. Um, but I mean at the same time, where do parents stay when they go visit their family in the nursing home? I mean I feel like. You know, you can't stay on the property. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that. You might be able to, but at the same time, you can go wherever. Just say, hey, meet me in whatever city I'm staying at the Holiday Inn. And I'm sure as soon as you stay so many nights, too, I'm sure you get rewards points. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he might save him enough pretty quickly, too, that he could, like, upgrade to the Holiday Inn Express at some point. That's what I'm saying, and, and probably a suite and probably like a jacuzzi room and everything. I mean, I'm, I don't blame the guy. I, you know, we say it's Tom Fuller, but at the same time, this is a hell of an idea. I mean, he could, uh, he could really enjoy himself and do things the right way and not the Robert Kraft way, too. I mean, he might be getting a holiday in, in Jupiter. <laughs> he just might rate, be. He could, probably, he could probably afford one. I mean, with all the money he's saving, like, I think about when I get that age, like, $188 a day, I don't make that in a day right now at work. Right? I don't think a whole lot of people do. 
Oh, no. Uh, the money he's saving, like the room service and all that he can uh, he can use up for that. Um, I mean, he, he's – this is a golden idea. I'm surprised this has not been thought of before, at least got the attention that this guy's getting. I, I would expect Holiday Inn to – maybe they open up their own, like, chain of hotels that cater to older people for the same price. Yeah. And then they just get a bunch of people to do that. I mean that, – That's senior discount. If, any, if like, anything, this is the business opportunity for Holiday Inn to take this and run with it. Right. Maybe get this guy an endorsement and maybe even save him even more. Than uh, than what he's saving of some sorts. What what that senior discount, Tom? That what is it like sixty bucks a night? Is all that he's gonna have to spend? I mean that is that is unbelievable that he's saving that much and using that senior discount. I, I can't wait to be old and get those senior discounts. Uh, yeah, especially you're the cu- the coupon master. You're the discount master. You get so much free food it's unbelievable i can only imagine you when you turn 55 plus you're gonna be running the show you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna have it made you're gonna every meal for you is gonna be like a dollar oh i already know that burger king has a senior discount oh my gosh my 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 you whopper know, is gonna be a dollar know, I off I could see you eating like brunches at casinos for like five dollars, all you can eat. Oh, you you know I will. I'm already ahead of it. And, and Tom, e- even when I have a point where I feel like I have a good amount of money, I'm notorious for even if I see something I want, it, uh, that I will not pay a certain price if it's too high, even if I can't afford it per se. If I still think it's overpriced, and then I'll still turn it down. I'll say, you know what, I'll, I'll buy something else instead. I feel like that I will still be that way when I'm older. That uh, That's how I'm going to be rich is by not spending a whole lot of money on things that I don't need or that are overpriced. I can see that. I can definitely see that. You're going to be like the coupon mom in the line at Homeland that like literally has a whole binder full of coupons that like, ends up you're going to end up where the store is going to end up having to pay you money wouldn't that be great i'll tell you this much I, you could be the first person to make that happen i would not be i would not be surprised i'll tell you this much so when i went to down to daytona tom i uh i wanted to get a daytona 500 hat but the prices of the hats were like 25 bucks which to me is just crazy to spend 25 bucks on a hat but I had the money to do it, and it came to my senses that, hey, this is not something I'm going to be able to get later. So I, I convinced myself I went ahead and spent the 25 bucks on the hat, and, and I felt like uh, I was going against my principles, but I, I did it anyway. You know, it, and sometimes you just got to do that. That's like when I went to the Spurs game, I knew, I said, you know, I had already spent the money on a courtside seat, and so I said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and spend the money on the drinks here, too. I think my tab was like 120 bucks for the entire game, and I got sloshed, but it was one of those things I'll never forget. Sometimes you pay the premium on the things that you don't get to experience again, right? Uh, and that's fine. That is, that's, that's why you go do things. Uh, but some things, like you wouldn't just go and spend $25 on a hat 
on the Daytona hat online and right. you buy it from the NASCAR shop. But if you buy it there, it gives a little bit more sentimental value. Exactly. And I'm actually wearing that hat right now as we speak. It's a pretty good-looking hat. Um, and I'm glad I got it in the long run. But I, I still it took some convincing of myself to actually follow through and get it. And uh, I'm glad I did. As far as this guy goes, Tom, uh, real quick, isn't this brilliant? Like, I would live in a hotel a thousand times over living in a retirement home. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, you wouldn't have to watch, you know, your friends die. Uh, you get That's to nice. different people all the time. And, uh, you know, even if you drink at the hotel bar, I got to know several people when I was a hotel bartender that were there and you just hear different stories all the time so I'm sure he would get to meet different families different folks uh, and you're not treated like some elderly person in a retirement home either you were treated as just a normal guest yeah you're treated like a a, you know a customer spending money right you know and, and I guarantee you that the nicer Holiday Inn food is nicer food than what you would get at a retirement home. Oh, absolutely. That, that breakfast... Unless you're living like lavish in one of the super crazy nice retirement homes that are probably like 500 a day. Yeah, like the villages. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, something like that. So, you know, you're not getting like applesauce, a crusty-ass biscuit, and a, you know, a... a stale piece of chicken you're getting like some quality food with probably some quality wine and you know quality treatment if uh if you had to pick one place to live at a holiday inn somewhere in the country where would it be tom um if i had the money and then was saving that kind of money every day i'd probably stay in san antonio and with the money he saved you could probably buy a season ticket go to every spurs game and go right back to his hotel and I honestly, uh, to be quite honest, I think from the stadium, uh, I think from AT&T down in San Antonio, I think there's a Holiday Inn two miles away. It is in a rougher part of town because that stadium is in a rougher part of town, um, but it is right down the street. I might have to go to my second home, the state of Florida. I, I, I've been there twice since July. And uh, you'd be like every other old person. I would, I would go somewhere to Florida, uh, maybe Jupiter. Um, <laughs> not quite Jupiter. You'd be the one. Uh, I, I'd probably pick, uh, I'd probably pick somewhere like, uh, like Tampa. I could see that. It's somewhere warm, somewhere nice. Go to a couple of Rays games, you know, go see the, the Buccaneers. Turn into a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. Wouldn't that be something? You know, go Jameis, eat some crab legs. I'd be down. That or, like, move to Maine. I mean, it'd be a little chilly. But, I mean, if you're moving Holiday Inns in the summer, you could go to Maine and eat crab legs and eat all the good seafood. And then when it came to the wintertime in Maine, you could flock like all the other old birds and go down to Florida. Oh, that'd be fantastic. That'd be great. I mean, you don't have to stay at one Holiday Inn. I mean, the possibilities are endless. I'll, I'll, I'll leave on this one note here, Tom, before we get out of here. I always felt like on the opposite end, you want to talk about retirement, I think it would be a great way to retire to be like a park ranger at a, at a, at a you know, campsite. You know, have your trailer, have your satellite TV. Um, you get you know, to live out in just the middle of nowhere, lake around you, not too many people around, fish every day, you know, stuff like that. To me, and you get paid to do it, 
I think being a park ranger would be a fantastic way to retire. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, even just being a... a or a camp host, I guess, is what I really meant to say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could go to some national park or something and just wake up and, you know, even if your job, even if you had like a little job where you had to, I don't know, do registration for folks like two or three times a week, it wouldn't be bad. You'd be still waking up in some of the most beautiful parts of the country. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. We got to get out of here. Yeah. We got to get out of here today. Uh, big thanks to uh, Ryan Black for joining us. Check out all his work in the uh, Manhattan Mercury. And uh, I'm off to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma this week for uh, KU and OSU. Should be a good time down You're there. Going to God's country. I am. I am going to God's country. I have yet to go to a road game this year, Tom where in football or basketball that KU has won. So um, maybe this is all that Oklahoma State needs. Maybe this is all that OSU needs to beat KU is me showing up. Um, And they'll take any help they can get at this point, uh, basically. But uh, as always, uh, subscribe to the show. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, You can check us out there. Uh, You can uh, follow us on social media. Uh, we're back on Instagram. Jones underscore report is where you can find us. Uh, and we'll be posting content, show content, stuff from there as well. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. At Thomas underscore Bridges. At TJ Media Group. Follow us there. And uh, we might follow you back. We'll see. <laughs> no promises. And uh, we'll see you right back here on the Jones Report next week. For Thomas Bridges and Ryan Black, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. Have a great week, everybody. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.